Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Ecclesiastical Babylon, Revelation 17. Okay, um, on the two witnesses on page 231, we talked a little bit that, that their, their institute for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, they have supernatural abilities. Uh, we talked about Elijah. So now let's talk about who they possibly could be. Some theorize that it's possibly Moses. Uh, others theorize that um, one is Elijah. We do know that Elijah returns, and we talked about how Elijah would have to be given a new body. It wouldn't be a glorified body, but it would be a new body. If Moses came back, it would have to be not a glorified body, but a regular human body, if he did. But then that would mean they'd die twice. Is that okay, biblically, then? If, if, if that is a view that someone holds that it's Moses and Elijah, then is it okay that they die twice? Is that okay? But what do you do with the scriptures as a point of man wants to die and after this is the judgment? Right. So as you can see, when those people make that argument that it's possibly Moses and Elijah, and the reason they say that is because the miracles are akin to Moses and Elijah, it's not out of line to think that a biblical saint can die twice. It, 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 it's not unprecedented. It has happened. So with that view, we definitely know Elijah returns. Okay, So if, if Elijah is one of them, then maybe. But if, if it's not, if he's not, and he's separate from the two witnesses, that's fine too. But we do know with Elijah, he is returned at that point in time, prior to the tribulation. And his job is to solidify the families of Israel back to a cohesive unit. The, the thing about Elijah, and like I talked about last week, if he's not the two witnesses and he doesn't die, then we can only assume then that he would be either translated, because he wouldn't die, he would be translated after the second coming. I'm trying to get my orders right. Because the Old Testament saints and tribulation saints are resurrected after the second coming. The church is resurrected at the rapture. And then we're glorified at that time. We come back with Christ in the second coming. So the Old Testament saints have not been resurrected or glorified until that period of time. They have their order as well. Um, the two witnesses, though, we'll see later on. We're having, we got, haven't got there yet, but the two witnesses will die and be resurrected, but not given glorified bodies. They'll be resurrected and then taken into heaven to await glorification later on. So if, if Elijah lives through the whole tribulation, again, this is speculation because I can't attach a scripture to it. He, it, it seems that he must be translated at the re resurrection of the Old Testament saints. That's all I can conclude. If he is one of the witnesses, then obviously he dies. And then God resurrects him, takes him into heaven, and then he's glorified at the second coming. 
after the second coming. So they get, according to Revelation 20, the tribulation saints are part of the second, the, that second resurrection of the Old Testament saints. They're included into that. Yeah, according to Revelation 20. So, that being the case, well, what if it's not Moses and Elijah? Who would it be? He does. What do you think? What does Fruchtenbaum say? It very well could be. Yep, and that's a legitimate theory, and, and that's a very well thought out theory in the fact that they're similar to Moses and Elijah because they do similar miracles. And so, Fruchtenbaum even holds to Elijah coming back, but he holds them out separately, it holds, sorry, Elijah out separately than the two witnesses. He believes the two witnesses are just two Jewish prophets that God raises up. And so, they may be alive today. I don't know. And then they would be used at that point in time. The fact that they do similar miracles has precedent. And this is important to understand. And this is why the people who make this argument have some good line of thinking. Now, what do I mean by that? John the Baptist was playing the role of Elijah. In the, he was in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember that, that discussion. Is John the Baptist Elijah? Well, John denied he was Elijah. And you, 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 you saw those passages. But then Jesus says, if they would have accepted me, he would have been the Elijah had they accepted me. But they didn't. Jesus knew this in his foreknowledge, obviously, as God. So he knew that wasn't going to play itself out. But it doesn't take away that there was a bona fide offer. That if they would have done that, then John would have satisfied the requirement of Elijah. So that precedent that someone can come in the spirit and power of the same person is there. So these guys seem to have the spirit and power of Elijah and Moses. And so that very well could be um, what signals to Israel you need to pay attention to this. The other thing, too, if you watch our Lord's ministry, almost to the T, the things he did in his acts and his miracles focused Israel backwards. And not only was it, you know, prophesied what the Messiah do, but a lot of what he did was reminiscent of what happened in the Old Testament. Okay? So the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, there's parts in that story that are reminiscent of the feeding of the Israelites in the desert with the manna. There are things he did that Moses did. And Israel was supposed to pick up on the cues that, oh, wait a second, I've seen this before. This is Moses. Yes, now I'm the one that Moses predicted. So the, the whole point of precedent is this. These two guys can work the miracles that Moses and Elijah did, and that is the signal to Israel God is at work. The same God that worked in Moses and Elijah is here working now, with you. So that's totally acceptable in that view. And so you have a couple scenarios. Some people would throw in Enoch as well as one of them. So that's acceptable as well. So whatever you guys end up taking, whatever position, if you take Fruchtenbaum's position, which is a very well-held view, or if you take it, well, it's Moses and Elijah, there's room for disagreement and there's room for discussion 
because it's not it's not definitive, I guess, if you want to say. It it leaves it open for it could be this and it could be that. So I don't want to be too dogmatic on that. Okay, before we leave this, any questions on the two witnesses? Because we get into something very deep with the Whore of Babylon. I think Elijah has a big hand in leading the 144,000 to the Lord. Because think about it. If there's no believers on planet Earth, well, how's he going to start? Well, somebody comes from heaven and starts witnessing, primarily to these Jews, and I think it lights a fire under these 144,000. I, I believe, I mean, speculation, that Elijah is the catalyst for the 144,000. Because who else would be here to witness? If the rapture took every believer, what would happen? So it's got to start somewhere. Again, that's speculation. I, I think about the, the, the pastor we support in Israel, Menno Kalisher, who's right there in the, in Jerusalem. And don't think for a moment, I mean, he's not getting a lot of receptivity from the Jews he witnesses to, but don't think for a moment that after the rapture, all that witnessing is going to not pay off. It will, for what he's been doing. Because he witnesses them about Isaiah uh, 53, uh, Psalm 22, and they have never read Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22. Does that blow you away? Now, these are kids who go to yeshiva, the, the seminaries for, you know, for Judaism, and they've never read Isaiah 53? That's crazy. But so that's, that's actually Minnow's witnessing track that they go throughout Jerusalem and put it around, is Isaiah 53. It blows them, that's their own Hebrew prophet. So, I, I think a lot of that groundwork, Dave, is right. It, it, they're already laying the groundwork that the, the, the Jewish Christians over there right now are doing a very good job at that. And so we'll see what happens, but, Okay, so we're going to leave the two witnesses. We're going to come back to them uh, later on because the Antichrist deals with them. Okay, so let's move to the next episode. At the, in this is going to uh, be on page two two thirty three. This is ecclesiastical Babylon. We have to learn about her. This is in Revelation seventeen, and then you have Revelation eighteen. Let me explain this for a little bit. Most of Revelation is in chronological order. It then in certain parts of Revelation, it'll take a parenthesis and just stop and do a like, kind of a break. When you get after uh, past Revelation 16, Revelation 17 and 18, it's a section that deals exclusively with Babylon. Okay, and it that little pericope is in chronological order but not in chronological order in the sense of the judgments. Okay, you've got the judgments, and then it deals with Babylon. Okay, Revelation 17 deals with ecclesiastical Babylon for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Then in Revelation 18, you're dealing with commercial Babylon, Okay, the actual economic center. So what we're going to see here in Revelation 17, is the first three and a half years of the tribulation and what this prostitute, this harlot, is doing. Okay? We'll identify her, okay? It says, And there came one of the seven angels that had the seven bowls and spake to me, saying, Come hither. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot that sits upon many waters. Okay, let's stop right there and unpack this a little bit. The idea that she sits on many waters is interpreted in verse 15, that the water represents the peoples of the earth, every nation, tribe, and language, that she 
sits on. Notice what she does. She sits on the waters. Okay, so if the waters represent the people of the earth, what is she doing? She is ruling them. Okay, the idea of sitting is the idea of directing. She is ruling the peoples of the earth, okay, at this point in time. Okay, the, har the harlot, uh, as she's talked about, it, or prostitute, it is a term in the Bible that any time spiritual adultery is committed against God, it is termed prostitution or spiritual adultery. So what, what does a prostitute do? It take, it, she takes that which is good and uses it improperly. Uses sex improperly. In, in the, the most basic understanding of a prostitute, okay? Sex, as you know, the proper use for it is in marriage between a man and a woman. So a prostitute takes what is good and uses it for illicit purposes. A harlot, a spiritual harlot, a spiritual prostitute takes that which is good I'll explain this, so hold on. Religion, and makes it, or uses it improperly. James will tell us in, uh, what is it, James chapter oh, 4, I think it is? No, 2. James will talk about true religion. And he says true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Now, what is, what is James trying to get that at? at is, oh, sorry, James chapter 1. When James says that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans, he is telling believers what the proper use of religion is. It is for servicing other people. So Christianity is a servant religion. That's the true form of it, is it serves. Christianity serves. It serves one another, and it serves other people outside to bring them to faith in Christ. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate servant, right? You don't have to go too far, far, uh, far other than our, our creator and our, and our redeemer to understand he was a servant. Okay. That's important to understand. So she takes the true form of what God wants from us is to serve and she takes the proper use for it and changes it and uses it improperly. So what does she do? Instead of serving, she sits or rules. So the improper use of religion that Satan uses is he uses religion to rule. You heard the terms in the in the the the, the um, warnings in the in Revelation up to the churches that I hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, right? If you heard, you've heard that term. What does that mean is that the, the clergy was ruling over the people, lording it over them. He hates that because that's the improper use of religion. And so she sits, she uses religions to rule. That's what the cults do. The people in the higher ranks of the cults, they rule over the people. So she rules. That's her game, okay? And so what ends up happening here is that she sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth, the political leaders of the earth, committed fornication or spiritual adultery with her. So there's a, they, they, they do a deal with her and use her. Okay? They use the religion. 
And I'll explain that in just a second. And they that dwell on the earth were made drunken, they've lost all senses, with the wine of her fornication. With her spiritual adultery, they've lost their minds. They lose it. They can't think straight anymore. Okay. Every time in the Bible you see spiritual adultery or you see spiritual fornication, or pro spiritual prostitution, this would be a term that we would use for Israel. Okay. The technical sense of the word is this. The people are claiming to know God in an outward sense, but there's no inward reality. They're faking it. They say they believe in God. They say they trust in God. They say they follow Jesus. But their Jesus and their God has no resemblance to the God of the Bible or Jesus of the Bible. So they, they're, they're Christians or believers in God in name only. That's all. So that's what, what happened to Israel. They were, they said they were Yahweh wor uh, worshipers, but there was no reality to it. They worshiped foreign gods. And so that's what they're, they're saying here about her. Okay. So then he said, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. I'll explain the wilderness in just a second. And I saw a woman, this is the same woman, sitting upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Well, we obviously know that, who that is. We've studied the Antichrist religion, the one world government. This is the one world government, ten league confederation, and eventually it breaks down into seven heads and ten horns, because three of the, three of the kings have been taken out by Antichrist. But this is the political system of the one world government that she sits on. Showing that you, she, showing you that she's separate from the political system, but yet she rides the political system. The political system supports her, but also the fact that she sits on the political system means that she's the driver of the political system. Do you following me on this? Okay, so it's very important. This is how much power she will have. She will be able to manage governments. That's how powerful she is. And notice where she's located at in the wilderness. She's located in the wilderness. Well, we have some more information about specifically where in the wilderness she's located at. And if you have your Bibles, you can listen. You can follow along. But if you don't, you could just um, listen to this. Zechariah chapter 5 talks about this same prostitute, this same harlot. The angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what, it, what this is that goes forth. So I asked, What is it? And he said, It is a basket that is going forth. He also said, This is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and the, this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw a lead cover over its mouth. Now, it's an odd prophecy, but if I break it down, this is what Zechariah is seeing. He has seen an ephoth. And an ephoth is a just giant basket that you would put goods in. Okay? It's, it's symbolizing a commercial system. It's symbolizing an, an, an economy. Okay? And 
he says, I'm putting this woman in there and she's called wickedness and she goes in the basket, but then I'm covering her up with a lead lid. The lead lid represents false weights and measures. Okay? Same thing that Jesus got onto the, the people in the temple about doing false measures and weights and tra- overcharging people, right? So what you see is a commercial economic system that deals with people in the world falsely with false weights, a lead disc, and inside the commercial system sits a woman called wickedness. The woman is the same woman that you're reading about. She is the harlot. Her name is wickedness. She's also called Mystery Babylon. But listen to where he says they take her. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there was two women coming with the winds in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted the basket between heaven and, uh, sorry, earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who was talking to me, where are you carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. So there's a clue. They're taking the woman to Shinar. That's where the, and, and the, the basket is the system, the economic system. What did I say Revelation 18 is? Commercial Babylon? The woman is religious Babylon. So the basket and the woman go to Shinar. Okay? So let's do some, some history. Shinar. Where did the name come from? Shinar. It's lower Mesopotamia. Let me take you back. After Noah got off the ark, the people that descended from Noah and his three boys went into the Fertile Crescent. And they went into, following the Euphrates and the Tigris, down into the Fertile Crescent in the Mesopotamia region. And they started building cities and whatnot. I think, if I'm correct, I have to think, about a thousand years after Noah, a man named Nimrod came. Okay? And Nimrod, you, you can read about him in Genesis, he was a type of Antichrist. I think he probably was more than likely a, a Nephilim, which means he was a half demon and half man. But nonetheless, here's what happened. He goes into an end, and in, in the city in lower Mesopotamia it was called Erech. E-R-E-C-H, Erech. And he goes into this inn or brothel, and the keeper of the inn or brothel is this woman that he likes. And he ends up hooking up with her. She's probably a prostitute, more than likely, because she's working a brothel. And he makes her his wife. And he starts giving her terms of being like a virgin and stuff like that because he doesn't want people to know that she was a prostitute. And before you know it, Nimrod and his wife erect a city. And this city is called Babel. And it's a pretty loose city, has no walls or anything at this point in time. Then they, or particularly she does this, she creates a religion worshiping the stars or the zodiac. And she focuses everybody's attention up there in folk in worshiping these planets and celestial beings, really, and it's idolatry. And obviously the Tower of Babel starts. 
and they start building this this tower. And you you know the story very well. God confused the languages and stopped that because what was getting ready to happen was Nimrod was consolidating his power not only politically but religiously and going to become an antichrist, the antichrist. And God stopped it because it wasn't the right time. Anyway, what comes out of this religion is she eventually kills her husband. Each year, in their pagan whatever, this is the, the, the beginnings of religion, by the way, um, that was not worshiping Yahweh. And each year they started worshiping these celestial beings, which are demons. And each year what they would do is they would tie up a calf uh, that had been matured for a whole year, they'd tie its limbs up alive and then rip it apart while it was alive. And that was the custom. And then each year they'd have a new lamb and they would do this sacrificing of this lamb by pulling its limbs apart. Eventually, with hallucinogenic drugs that she used, she she did this to the priest and convinced the priest to do this to her husband, Nimrod. Now, Nimrod was already being worshipped as a deity, but she ended up getting him tied up in the same thing, and they pulled him from limb to limb and killed him. She took over power, and the reason she killed him is she got pregnant from another guy. And he got he got wind of this, and when he got wind of it, he threatened to kill this child. And so she protected her child by killing him by drugging everybody, and then they ripped him apart. They kill Nimrod at that point in time, and she's taking power, she's the queen, and and so the, the next year comes around, and the, the threat is, well, since you killed your husband, then your son must be in line to be ripped apart as well in this religious ceremony. And she goes, no, 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 no I'm changing the game. He's a god. I'm a god. Call me the queen of heaven. And... uh what we're going to do is we're going to do games so that if you sacrifice yourself by letting yourself be pulled apart in these games and you win these games and you sacrifice yourself, you'll become a god in the stars. So people start falling for that and they start ripping people to, uh, to shreds during these, these festivals. By doing that, she deified her child and deified herself and she, she basically built the walls of Babylon around her and things of that nature. What started out of that then came the child and woman cult. Where you have, and you can go to ancient antiquity and see archaeological remains of a woman holding a child. That child was, is called Damus, and it got tra uh, translated into Tammuz. And basically, um, the worship of the child Madonna cult started right there also with worship in the stars. So, her Hellenized name was Sumerian. Okay? Her Mesopotamian name was Samur Amat, or Sumerian name, Samur Amat, which means the gift of the sea. So, her common name that you probably know of Nimrod's wife is Semiramis. Okay, or Semiramis, however you want to pronounce it. Semiramis or Semiramis was her name in the common tongue. Her Hebrew name is Shinar. So where is the land of Shinar? 
where he met her, where him, Nimrod, and her built the city of Babel. So if you want to identify where the future Babylon, the future headquarters of this prostitute and the headquarters of the Antichrist world center, economic center, guess where you have to go? You have to go to Iraq and 60 kilometers south of Baghdad. It's ground zero. That's where the Tower of Babel was and that's where the Antichrist will build his headquarters and that's where she will be located. The center of the world's attention is not going to be in New York, in L.A., or London, or Paris. It is going back to where it started, Babel. And you go there today, and you're like, nothing's there. Right. But it doesn't matter. If the Bible says it's going back there, it's going back there. That's where it will be located. And so we believe it's legitimate. Um, and so, by the, by the way, it's incidentally, you can see the, mother, the mother-child cult today. You know what I'm talking about? the Roman Catholic Church. The cult of the Madonna and child didn't start with the Catholic Church. It started with Babylon. It started with Semiramis, or Shinar is her Hebrew name. And it's still with us today. So if you see the Madonna holding the child, you're looking at Semiramis. What does she call herself? The Queen of Heaven. What does the Catholics call Mary? The Queen of Heaven. Same term. All, when you see the Catholic Church, all you're seeing is Babylonianism. And they actually wear the beads of the Babylonian priests. They wear the garments of the Babylonian priests. That is full-fledged Babylonianism. And uh, I know we, you know, I, I and probably you have Catholic friends, and they wouldn't think like that, but that is the origin of the Catholic Church. That's how wicked and corrupt it is. Anywho, what was going on here? This was the first time in human history, that man created his own religion. It's that point in time. That's where it is. So if you go back to to um, your text in Revelation 17, um, she says, "I saw a wo-, he says I saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet beast, full of names of blasphemy, having said having seven heads and ten horns." That's the political system, and the woman was arrayed in purple. It's royalty. And scarlet, again, signs of royalty, which again is the opposite of true religion. True religion is a servant, not a king or a queen. And decked with gold and precious stone and pearls, and having her hand in a cup full of abomination, even unclean things of her fornication, and upon her forehead a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. Now, that term... Mother of harlots in the abomination of the earth is referring back to Genesis because that's where it started. This is her spirit. She is still with us. And she's going to be located eventually in this location in Babylon. Okay, to go back to what, how she's arrayed, notice that she's arrayed like a queen. Precious stones and pearls and gold. She is pretending to be the true bride of Messiah. And she will, eventually, you'll notice, she will later on mock the church, the true bride of Messiah. The true bride of Messiah is given white linen. This false woman, this harlot who pretends to be the bride, look what she's wearing. 
of gold and the precious stones of the earth and man-made things and make her seem like she's royalty, and she's really not. She will say, I am not a widow. Why does she say that? Who is she mocking? I have many suitors. But she's saying, I, I'm not a widow. I'm not by myself. Who is she mocking? The church. Because she's saying, where is your bridegroom? He has left you. He's abandoned you. But I have many suitors. When she says those words, it's the false church mocking us. Where is your Lord? Oh, he's coming. He's coming to get us. And he said he'd never leave us to forsake us. He's coming back for us and he's promised it. But that's her mock to us. Okay, so she says uh, all these things. Okay, so then it says mystery. Now, when you see the term mystery, that means that something hasn't been revealed yet in the Old Testament, but now is being revealed. And the mystery that John is laying out is something that the Old Testament saints didn't know. And in fact, the early church didn't know because John wrote this in 95 AD. There are several mysteries in the Bible. I believe there's eight altogether, two of which are satanic. And this is one of them. This is one of the satanic mysteries. Now, what is it in here that we didn't that we didn't know? Well, we knew Babylon the Great. We knew that's that's the mother of harlots. We knew that. We knew she came from Shinar. We knew that. Um, we knew you know the abominations of the earth. We knew that. There's something we didn't know about her that John's trying to say, and it's it's encased in this passage. What we didn't know about this mystery Babylon was that she was going to be supported by the political government of the world system and that she was going to consolidate and be a one-world religion that was never talked about in the Old Testament. The Old Testament Jews knew about mystery, not mystery Babylon, but Babylon, that all false religions came from her. The Jews knew that. That whether it was Baal or Asherah, they were all manifestations coming from Babylon, and they, they, it was all diffused. So anywhere they went in the world, they knew, okay, all the false religions are stemming from that. What they didn't know, and that what you and I know now, is that all these false religions are going to consolidate together under one banner. That's what they didn't know. That's the mystery that now you and I know. Okay, so here's my question. Are you seeing all the religions come under one banner? Yes. Like never before. Like never before. See, if you talk to Christians 500 years ago, they couldn't answer that question. Today, you can. So what it's telling you that ecclesiastical Babylon, the whore, is forming. And this is why I keep telling you about the church, is that I'm seeing things, and maybe you're seeing, is that there is a line being drawn in the church right now between the false church and the true church. And the this gap is getting wider and wider and wider and very pronounced. And there's a bunch of people who think they're Christians, and they're not. They're in cults, they're in false religions, false churches. But see, what's happening is she's forming. 
And God is taking the remnant and breaking her away. And all who are are finding each other in the remnant are clumping up together. They're finding each other. The false church is staying out there. Because you know what the false church is going to do? It's going to hook up with all the other religions and come under that banner. So here's my question. We'll, we'll take a break. Who do you think, then, will lead ecclesiastical Babylon? Catholic Church? Obama? Hillary? Chrislam, maybe? It's going to have to be somebody that's tolerant of all religions, that has power and money. And your guess is a very good one if you say Catholic Church. Because here's the question. If it happened today, when we were raptured, who would take over? Catholic Church. No. It won't stay in Italy. They don't eat spaghetti. They go and eat hummus. And they go to the Middle East and they're going to be eating Middle Eastern food because, or hummus or whatever. Uh, they're going to go there. They're not staying and eating spaghetti. It's all going to the Middle East. Iran, or Iraq to be precise, right? That's what catches people off guard. When you take it literally, it's going back to the Middle East. Now think about it. Why? We'll get there. Why would the Antichrist then put his capital in Iraq? Economically. Why? All the oil. You're in the center hub of where all the oil is. So if I want to control the oil, guess where I'm going to be located? Right there. And I'll control everything. So if the Antichrist can control the entire economic system, he's going to plant himself where the stuff is. And then the religion will come with him too. So I have a funny hunch. If the Catholic Church takes over, they're going to do some separate Vatican type of thing in that location to rule all the world's religions. We'll see what happens. Anyway, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, Please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our Redemption Dolls Mirror. God bless.